Writing well is the pursuit of a lifetime. You may be at mile marker one of this wonderful life journey and thinking for the first time about embracing the life of a writer. Or maybe you're further along and ready to publish some of your ideas. I'm Melissa Parks with Dave Getz, and we are fellow travelers on this extended road trip to improve our writing and publish our ideas. We hope this podcast helps you make progress on your writing journey. Now, let's buckle up and write. Creating a digital presence and a loyal following is tougher for many authors than writing the book. The digital landscape can feel mysterious because it's always evolving. Where do you focus your efforts to build a following? How do you actually cultivate a following? And how should you think differently about creating a platform? In today's episode, we are joined by Becky Robinson, the founder and CEO of Weaving Influence, a digital marketing agency. For more than a decade, Becky's partnered with authors and thought leaders to grow the reach of their work by leveraging digital marketing strategies. In this conversation with Becky, we'll dig into the four commitments to cultivating followers that she covers in her book, Reach. Make sure you tune in to the full episode because from beginning to end, Becky offers practical tips and encouragement for seasoned and first-time authors. Welcome, Becky, to our podcast. We are so happy to have you today. You are going to share a wealth of wisdom with our audience, and it's just going to be a great time chatting with you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. So, Becky, tell us a little bit about your background, how you learned social media marketing, digital marketing, when you got your start, and even a little bit about your business weaving influence. Sure, I would be happy to. So, Back in about 2009, I was trying to figure out a career after having stayed home with my three children. And the only thing that I could think of that would be flexible enough for the lifestyle that I had at the time was to do writing. So I started to look for opportunities to do freelance writing, which eventually landed me an opportunity to write a leadership blog for a university. And along the way, while writing the blog, I also got asked by the marketing folks at the university if I would dive into Twitter and learn about using Twitter to promote the blog. So everything I know about social media marketing and digital marketing, I learned by doing it. And I learned it really at the beginning, at the early days, or at least what felt like the early days to me now in retrospect. And along the way, because of my niche with the leadership space and leadership bloggers, I got another opportunity to help work with a leadership consultant who was marketing a book. And I crafted a social media marketing plan to launch his book. And then because of that, I had other people who were coming to me, frankly, a lot of them on Twitter saying, oh, I saw how you marketed this book. Would you work with me to market mine? And for a while, I was saying no. And then in 2011, I said yes to my first client. And my original vision was that I would be the strategist, that I would craft the plans of how an author might market their book. But what I found out really quickly is that almost everyone who came to me they had plenty of their own creative and strategic ideas about marketing their books. What they were really looking for is hands-on support to execute those plans because marketing a book can be exceedingly overwhelming. And so that was what led me eventually to hire a team and to form a full-service agency because I saw that while the strategic approach is certainly helpful to the authors I was serving, they wanted both that strategic guidance and the hands-on implementation support to be able to guide their journeys. 
So where is that gap when somebody comes to you with their ideas and the execution of it? Where is their weakness? I know it's an execution, but what are they not seeing or connecting? So I think sometimes the the gap is is not really even about not connecting, but investing in building an online presence takes a lot of time and energy. And so a lot of times it's a matter of maybe a prioritization gap or also just sometimes like a, not a personality gap, but an interest gap. So the number of times people will tell me, well, I want to make a bigger difference with my ideas or get my book out in a bigger way, but I don't like social media or I don't really want to have a newsletter or I'm just really not interested. So the amazing thing is that everyone has a choice. But what I've learned in working with authors and thought leaders over the years is that so many people have this amazing presence in their real life lives. So, you know, in their communities or with the people who know them in real life, they are making a tremendous difference. And then when you go to look at them online, there's this gap that exists because they haven't chosen to invest in their online presence. There's a gap between the impact that they can have in their real life relationships and the impact they can have with the wider audience. So what I like to say is that when we choose to invest in bringing our best ideas to online spaces, we are choosing to exponentially expand the possibilities for making a difference in the world through our ideas. So it's okay. You cannot like social media, but if you choose to step back from those spaces or you choose not to engage in those spaces, in a way you are choosing to limit the ultimate reach of your ideas in the world. That's really powerful. I love how you're framing that. Now, when you coach authors who want to promote your book, where do you stand on the whole debate on have your uh, have a blog, have a space where you own your email list and have a social media following? Where where do you stand in that? Is it good to have one over the other, both? And is it better to have your own website with your own email list? Where do you stand on that? Sure. Well, I think the place to start always is the place that you own and control. So if someone doesn't have an online presence at all, or they're looking to up-level their existing online presence, the very first thing to do is to build a website on a domain that you own. Because when people go to look for you, you know, if you want to show up online in the same powerful way that you show up in real life, it really has to start with that place that's yours. So Certainly, if someone has a limited amount of time, energy, or money to invest, the very first thing to do is to have a website that very clearly shares the value that you have to offer the world. You want people, as soon as they land on your website, to very quickly understand whether or not you are for them, whether you have value to offer to them. And of course, when you get people to your website, the second most important thing is to be able to get them to give you their email address so that you have a way to stay connected to them. If those are the only two things that an author is able or willing to do, those are the first two that I would start with. Because sometimes people go the other way and they say, well, I'm going to build you know, traction on LinkedIn, or I'm going to build traction on Instagram, or I'm going to build traction on Google+. Do you remember that? Or Twitter, which is now becoming more obsolete as people are leaving the platform. When you put all of your energy into these external platforms that are owned by someone else, You will always be at the whim of the changing popularity of those platforms, the functionality of those platforms, 
And what you don't want is to get into a situation like some clients I've worked with before who suddenly are shut out of a TikTok account or they're suddenly shut out of their Facebook page. And then all the investment that they've made in building a community is lost if they don't have an enduring way to stay connected to those people through their own website and email list. So that is where I stand on that. I find that in working with many of our authors, they put up the website and maybe they start to blog like once a week, once every two weeks, but they really don't have a way to drive people to their website. So what is the trick for doing that in your mind? How do you drive people to your website so you can begin to collect their data and have a conversation with them that's meaningful? I think it starts in a two-pronged way. So Sometimes I think people get tripped up because they think the only way to drive traffic to a website is through online traffic. And they neglect to let their offline world know about what they're doing online. So I would say for those authors who are just getting started or those business owners who are just getting started, you want to make sure that the people who know you in real life know about your website and the value they can find there. So one of the things you can do is have make sure your URL is on your business card, maybe use a QR code if you're speaking in front of a group, maybe collect a list of all the email addresses of people who actually know you in real life and go out to them with email to invite them to visit your website to access the value that you're offering. And I think a lot of times we skip that step. So if someone is launching a brand for the first time and launching a website for the first time, I would actually encourage them to treat that like the launch of anything else that's new. So you want to throw a party either offline or online to let people know what you're up to, what you have to offer, and to entice them to come over to your website. So you start with your offline connections and bring them online. And then social media is an excellent way to find and form new relationships. And so obviously, if you're creating content that's of value, You do want to have some social media channels where you can share that content to attract new people who have not heard of you or seen you before. And I would recommend that you maximize the reach of your organic efforts first. And then if you want to be able to expand beyond that, you can make an investment in some paid social using ads on social media platforms or on Google to attract more of your ideal audience back to what you're sharing on your core website. Have you found that paid advertisements for content work for your your clients? Because I have a bias about maximizing organic first, you know, there are not that many people out there who maximize the organic reach of their work. And so I'm not going to necessarily recommend that they spend on paid. And every paid campaign and its results are a little bit different. So the first thing that you want to make sure if you do want to invest in paid is ensure that you're on the right platform with the right messaging at the right time, targeting the right audience. I think that a campaign that's well executed with those parameters in mind can be really successful in driving interest. Let's talk a little bit about your book. You talk about the four commitments, which I thought were really good. And they just seem real vectoring in terms of how you're going to spend your time with social media. Could you talk a little bit about the commitments and maybe explain each one a little bit? So the first commitment is a commitment to value. And if we have something worthwhile to offer to the world, value is really determined by those people who are receiving it. 
So depending on what you need in your life, you're going to find value in different thought leaders' ideas. You have to really start, though, with a commitment to showing up with the value that, that you have to bring. And part of that requires that you get clear about what the value is that you want to bring to the world. A lot of times I have said that content is the vehicle for the value that we want to bring to the world. And that is true. So as we create content that's a value, we will attract an audience. But I think what I didn't talk about as much in my book that has become clear to me since is that value is not only in the content that we create, but it's also in the connections that we make. So for anyone who is choosing to show up in online spaces to grow an audience, I think you really have to balance bringing content and bringing connection. And when I see authors who are reluctant to engage in social media platforms, I think some of that is not really understanding the amazing power of the connections that you can build in social media spaces. I have recently become enamored with the new meta platform Threads. And it hasn't been that, that popular. And my team teases me all the time about how much I love Threads. I think the reason I love Threads is that real connections are, are taking place there in the same way that real connections were happening on Twitter back in the early 2000s. And I think that's the best part of what social media is about. It's about reaching across geography to share something, a true human connection, and actually form relationships. So when you think about the commitment to value there can be this tendency to overemphasize the creation of content of value and to underemphasize connecting. And a balanced approach will help set you up for success. So that's the first one, value. So talk a little bit about the word connecting versus content. What does that practically look like on, let's say, threads? Sometimes when people are looking at social media marketing as like a task to be checked off a list, one of the ways that we might make that kind of task easier for ourselves is to write a bunch of stuff and to broadcast a bunch of stuff and to set it up in a scheduler. So it goes out on autopilot and it gives the appearance that we're showing up consistently with value. And to some extent we are, yes. What I've seen works the best is that when we craft content and we potentially schedule the content, that we make ourselves available to interact with the people who may respond. So you asked Dave about threads, and I'll talk about that for a second. But let's think about LinkedIn for a moment. Most people who are creating thought leadership content that is related to their businesses in the world see LinkedIn as the primary audience for them. And what I've noticed is a stark difference between people who craft content that's personal and relatable. They post it. They might add a question. And then they set aside some time to stick around and respond to the comments as people might respond to them. That is what connection looks like. Instead of broadcasting content, sending it out, and really never paying attention to what happens as people begin to engage with it. So. On threads, it's, it's a little bit different because threads at the current time, as far as I know, you can't really schedule content. So anytime you're posting there, it's in real time and you know it's a real person on the other side. And the reason why I'm so drawn to that platform is because there are these real conversations that happen. And for me, there's this kind of building of a community where you see the same people posting, you engage with their content over time. 
And I have like a mental model of the people I've met there. Like I could probably name off 10 or 15 people that I've met during the time I've been on threads, where in the same way that you build an online community, I mean, an offline community, like your your online community can be people with lives as three-dimensional as those people who you might make, meet face-to-face. And there's value there to be seen and known and know others and care about them. You're hitting this nail right on the head. And it, we see it all the time with the people whom we coach. They decide they're going to start posting on LinkedIn and they do it, but it's very perfunctory. Like you said, they just do it because they have to do it. And there's not a lot of engagement. And this idea of leading into relationships, I we try to coach our, our leaders to do that as well. And I think part of it has to go along with your one of your other four commitments, which is generosity. And I think the value of elevating other people and their ideas and connecting other people in your community to other people who are adjacent to you, right? And so there's this kind of giver's gain to use a, a, a phrase that we use around here that, that elevates yourself as you elevate other people. Generosity is my favorite of the four commitments and also sometimes the most unexpected. And it is this focus on what you can give of yourself in relationship, in support of others. And I try as much as I can to think, have authors think about others who might be in similar spaces as complementary to them instead of competitive. I think when we view others who might be writing on the same topics as competitive, we fall into a scarcity mindset where really, honestly, there's more than enough for all of us. And so by putting the focus on what we can give to others rather than what we can get, we can fuel that abundance mindset. And I think really disarm others. There's such a big difference between like showing up in spaces with a desperation because we need to sell something or we we have to get something for ourselves. And the energy is so different when you show up to think about the value that you can share and give. Can you give a couple of practical ideas for how you show generosity, for instance, on LinkedIn? Let me contrast it. So one of the tactics I've seen people use a lot is this tactic of I'm going to post something and then I'm going to tag every other influential person I know in hopes that they're going to come over and comment or share my work. And to me, that's exceedingly off-putting. Like I can't figure out if, if someone's tagging me. It's obvious it's, it's in a play to get my support, right? A different way, a more generous way would be to only tag people when you're amplifying something that they've shared or when there's a real obvious connection. So for example, if you have a colleague who's launching a new product or you have a colleague who is releasing a new book or you have a colleague who has shared some ideas that are really resonant with you, to take a moment to reshare what someone else has written and to add your genuine heartfelt comments about the topic is a way to show generosity on LinkedIn. What are your other two commitments to cultivating followers? You've talked about value and generosity, the first and the last. What are, what are the two in the middle? The one I'm going to mention next is the one that most people struggle with, and that is consistency. In order to grow an audience online, we need to show up with value to connect with others consistently. What I've noticed at times is that people get really excited potentially at the beginning of a project and they may set a goal to blog weekly or have a weekly podcast or post on social media every day or whatever this big ambition is that they set forth. 
And they might do that really well for a week or two or three, but then suddenly it becomes overwhelming and they disappear. So what I try to coach people to do is rather than having this ambitious approach, look at what is actually sustainable over time and scale back the frequency as long as it means that you can do it consistently. So for example, with my podcast, we did start out, I think, with weekly shows and we did that for a year or two. This year, we scaled back to one new episode every three weeks because given the way that we want to use our show, that's the the most logical, sustainable approach for our time and financial resources. So I would coach anyone to really think about consistency along with sustainability and to make commitments to showing up online in a regular way, but at, at a frequency that will allow them to show up with their best work. I did an interview when I was uh, working on my book with the guy, Dan Rockwell. He writes a blog called Leadership Freak. And he's amazing because he's written a daily blog post of 300 words about leadership every single business day for like 12 or 13 years. And most of us can't be that consistent. I asked him how, and he said he was raised in a family uh, on a farm where he had to milk the cows and feed, feed the cows and all that stuff every single day. So he's an every single day kind of guy. It just made sense for him. But not many of us can sustain that kind of consistency. The final commitment, which is also one that people really struggle with, is a commitment to longevity. Because any results that you want to create are going to take time. And the mistake that I see people making is they show up in online spaces and after a month or two or three or five episodes of a podcast or six months of newsletters, they decide in advance that it's not working. When really what they need to do is give it much more time. I had heard some data from Dory Clark, who's a well-known thought leader. She wrote a book called The Long Game. She said it can take up to a year of showing up in online spaces with content of value before you see any results at all. And she also says it can take five years to establish yourself as an expert. So patience is required if you want to be able to build an audience. You know, I have been online since 2009. This is 2024. That's a really long time, 15 years. And I have been able to build a thriving business. And I have been able to see my content create traction and attract a community of people around me. But guess what, Melissa, Dave, I'm not famous at all. I haven't had this breakout success. I like to tell the story of Brene Brown. Everyone thinks that Brene Brown has always been famous or that it came to her easy, easily or quickly. The truth is when her TEDx talk that she did in 2012 went viral and got millions of views, She had been writing and researching and creating value for more than a decade before that. So for any of us who really want to make a big splash, we really have to be committed to the day in, day out hard work of creating content that's of value to others. As you think about working with clients, often, especially for those who have a book, they they come and they're a little bit exasperated with how much things cost it's always more than what they thought. And how do you deal with people willing to commit to investing in their own long-term building of their platform? 
it really has to start with taking a realistic look at the resources that we have available. And you're right, Dave, it always takes more time, energy, and money than people think. One thing that is sometimes helpful, though, is to begin with the end in mind, to really talk about what does success look like for this book? A year from now, what's the job that you want this book to be doing in the world for your life and for your business? And I think helping people to get a vision for not only the difference the book can make for their readers, but also the difference the book can make in their business is a really helpful way to help people understand why the investment will pay off for them. So I did use a traditional publishing route for my book. So I didn't have to invest a lot a lot of money in the publication of my book. I did invest a lot of time and energy and, and resources in marketing my book. And I will say that even though I didn't sell as many books as I had hoped to sell, the outcome in my business, the outcome in my approach to my work has exponentially paid off for me. I don't have the data at the tip of my fingers, but we saw 20, 30 plus percent revenue growth in the time following the release of my book. So for a savvy business owner who invests in a high quality product and has a plan in how to incorporate that book into their ongoing life and business, you will see business and revenue growth as a result that will far outweigh the cost of the investment in the book itself. But you have to make sure that you're providing a product that's of value. I want to take it back to the people who have written the book. They've completed the book. They're on the cusp of publishing it. And they say, oh, no, I haven't done anything to build a digital presence and online following. And yet they're still hoping to piece something together quickly for the launch of their book and have success with it. What do you say to those people? The thing for folks like that, that I would try to focus on is their existing network of connections, and those may be offline. And so for someone who hasn't taken the time to build an online presence and they have a book to release, the very first and most important exercise is to open up a blank spreadsheet and to start to make a list of all the possible people that they know in real life who may be interested in and willing to help support amplifying the message of the book in the world. Because even though that author may not have a lot of traction in online spaces, it's possible that they have friends, family, and colleagues who have a more established online presence. So really starting with who are the people I know in real life who I can involve to mobilize on behalf of my message is the first step for folks like that. I, I once worked with an author named Clint Pulver, and there's a, actually a, a really great episode on my podcast with him that I would encourage people to go out and listen to. When Clint and his wife got ready to launch his book, which is called I Love It Here, they rented a hotel room for a weekend. They got a babysitter for their kids. They ordered room service in all weekend. And they did this painstaking exercise of writing down the names of every single person they could possibly think of who might be able to help support the marketing of their book. And they wrote down 10,000 names. And then after wow. they wrote down those 10,000 names, they proceeded to execute a plan in which they individually and personally reached out to people to request their support in getting the word out about their book. That is radical, right? Now, for most of those authors that you're talking about, Melissa, they may be hard-pressed to come up with 50 or 100 names. But I think the time spent 
to mobilize those 50 or 100 or 200 or 300 in-person connections to share the book in online spaces is a really great way to jumpstart the release of a book. And my favorite approach for those authors who also may not have a great online presence is to do some type of virtual celebration where all of these people who know them in real life can come into a Zoom room, can hear about the book and its message, can find out about the best ways to support the message, and hopefully will follow through to buy the book or review the book on Amazon and share the book in social spaces. The other thing that I would say to those people is that they could use the launch of the book as the launch also of their online brand. So if they have their book and their website ready at the same time, they can be going out to the people who already know them with both. The other thing that I would say to those authors is anyone who writes a book, I hope has a long-term view of the value that the book can offer for their lives and business and for the people who read the book. So most of us who write a nonfiction book are not going to promote it for a few months. We want to be able to incorporate that book in what we're doing in online spaces for months or years or a decade even. Back in 2012, I launched a book called Help Them Grow or Watch Them Go. It's by Dr. Beverly Kay and Julie Winkle Giulioni. And the book's been now re-released with two additional editions. Maybe the third edition is coming this fall. But both Bev and Julie have incorporated the core ideas of that book in their online marketing efforts, you know, in the articles they've written, in the social posts they've written, and they've done it for more than a decade and the book keeps selling. So just because you don't have an online presence when the book comes out doesn't mean that you can't continue to build and grow an online presence to continue to bring the book to audiences over the long haul. And I think the last I knew, that book has sold like 60 or 75,000 copies. And who, who wouldn't want that? In one of our questions we had sent to you earlier, you talked about how going viral isn't the goal. And I think this has to do with social media, but it, it also has to do with lots of people expect their book to go viral. And you're, you're saying really it's about your dedication over a long period of time. But going back to social media, why is going viral not the goal? What should people be looking for instead? We have a misplaced idea of what will happen when we go viral. So we think, oh, I'm going to create a viral video. And then suddenly it's going to mean I have this massive audience. The reality is lots of content goes viral and it's like a flash. What I would prefer to see is an approach that results in lasting impact for a message. So while it, it could be thrilling and exciting to have a piece of content that we write can hatch a lot of momentum. What we want to do is ensure that we're sharing values so that we can keep some of that audience or have them stick around. And that's more likely to come from that consistent presence over time. So just for a minute to pause, my book is called Reach. And early on, my editor flagged, hey, Becky, you didn't define reach anywhere. So obviously, by the time the book came out, we defined reach in the book. And the way that we define reach is expanding audience plus lasting impact. So the focus on viral is really the focus on, can I expand the audience? But it neglects the second half, which is that lasting impact. And lasting impact really only comes with those relationships that we have over time. So if you think about, Melissa, before we started recording, we identified that you have a key team member who is your niece. But I'm betting because of the longevity of your relationship with Allison, 
you have been able to have an impact in guiding her life and values and work. And it's only because of that relationship over time that you've had that impact on her. So any time that we're going to make an impact, it's because we've chosen to invest in someone in a much deeper and meaningful way. I'm on Instagram and I've grown a following over, gosh, about eight years now. And there are people in my space who have these viral moments and they go from like 10,000 to 100,000, 150,000 followers like in a week because one of their videos go goes viral. And what I've noticed in those situations is that their community becomes very negative and toxic because they don't have a relationship with the content creator. And it's not an engaged audience anymore. So these people have 150,000 followers, but they're getting like 32 comments where I have 35,000 and I'm getting 150 comments, right? The balance of engagement shifts when you go viral, I think. And that's because you haven't done the, the work of engaging relationships. Yes, but that would be pretty incredible to go from 10,000 to 100,000 in a week, wouldn't it? It would be. We all want that. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I read a piece talking about really what sells books. It basically was, well, really, as we looked and did an analysis of all the pieces online with New York Times, what we perceived to be the best well-written pieces that actually did the best. So I think they were making a, a... really an argument for well-written content. So talk about that in the role, both of the reach, which is expanding audience and also in lasting impact and just the need to, I think, really pay attention to that. I will say in the leadership, I was an editor at Leadership Journal. And even then, the whole topic of leadership was so crowded. So I think my long-winded question is, what is the value of really well-done content, but also content that is fresh. And how do we make content fresh, like leadership or other topics that that have been really run over a lot? So I'm going to start with the easiest one. How do we make sure our content is fresh? I think the more authentic we can be in sharing our own journeys in real time, the more fresh our content will be. So I think that content gets really stale when it's disconnected. So the more like personal content is always more relatable. And you see that on social media as well. Of course, there's a fine line because many of us have to choose to keep some family matters private. There there are different boundaries that we each have in terms of how we can bring our own stories to light. But I think those really personal authentic moments are what what keep the content fresh. Now, I'm going to say something also contrarian about this idea of, does it have to be really well-written and, and good quality? Well, what I have noticed is, honestly, that sometimes someone who already is famous is going to have an easier time of making the New York Times list or getting that viral traction. It's because they either have a well-known name or some kind of celebrity status. It doesn't necessarily mean that the book is good. So writing an excellent book is not a guarantee that you're going to get traction for it. You also have to make that investment in amplifying the work. And I I think that I have read best-selling books and kind of scratched my head of like, why why is this popular? Why, Why is this a bestseller? I'm, of course, not going to name any of those books or authors on this show, but I think you've probably seen the same thing. So yes, if you're going to create something, you want to create the best possible product. You want it to be 
well-researched. You want to be proud of it. And the more you can incorporate your real-life story, the more effective I think it will be. Because as far as the topic of leadership, and my team and I have promoted, launched over 200 leadership books, leadership-adjacent books in the last decade, the thing that makes them stand out and the thing that makes them unique is the voice of the author. You are the only you. Your story is is the story that you have to tell that no one else can tell. So find a way to do that. We worked with an author earlier this year. She wrote a book called The Boldly Inclusive Leader. Her name is Manette Norman. And I think one of the reasons why her book is so compelling, even though you know there are gazillions of leadership books out there, is that she is sharing a lot of real life experiences that she had as a woman working in tech. And so as a result, you know, that's exceedingly relatable. Before we close out this episode, I just want to make sure that you are able to articulate clearly what are the top three tips that you have for authors who want to market and promote their book? When you're working with a client, what are the three must do's? I'm going to take a little detour here, Melissa. I hope you'll be patient with me. I want to emphasize the importance of the choice that we can make to show up in online spaces with value to share with the world. And sometimes it can feel like we're not making any progress. And so I want to share a little story. You asked me before we started recording where I live. I live in the state of Michigan. My husband and I have a property that's five acres, and it's a beautifully wooded, private, serene place. Like I feel so blessed to live here. But it did not always look like this. When the owners of the house, the ones who built the house originally put the house here, the yard was open to a busy road that's about a third of a mile from my house or not quite that far. And one of the things the owners of our home did is they made a really important decision that they wanted to create a place of peace. They had a vision for this wooded private lot that didn't yet exist. And so they chose over the decade or two decades that they owned the house before we bought it in planting trees. So at the beginning, they bought 500 seedlings. They were so tiny that they fit in a wheelbarrow. And Mike, the man who had built the house with his wife and his sons, painstakingly planted and watered and cultivated these trees because they had this vision for what the home would look like once those trees had a chance to grow. So for those authors and thought leaders who might be beginning to build an online presence, it can feel a lot like planting trees that maybe they're not going to get to see grow to full height. But what they're choosing to do is to have a vision for a a better world, a a world that doesn't exist yet, that can only come if they dedicate and serve others through value. So the very first most important thing that I would want authors and thought leaders to know is to have a long-term view about the difference that you can make in the world and to be clear that you're making a choice to show up with value in online spaces. I think that can help you when you're facing that resistance about feeling like there's way too many things to do and, and you don't see the meaning in those efforts. So the second thing that I would say is to make sure that you tap into and mobilize your existing networks. I think quite often we underestimate the value of our existing communities and helping to amplify the reach of our work. And that exercise that I've mentioned of opening up a spreadsheet and brainstorming names is among the first things that any author or thought leader can and should do. For number three, what I would say is to make sure that you balance 
the value that you bring through your content and the value that you bring through connection. It's easy to craft content to share, but it's harder to bring the best of who you are in relationship with others. And the value and power of social media is in the relationships that we can build. So I would encourage people to really think about the word social as it relates to social media and and show up authentically to connect with others. What a great note to end on. Besides your book, Reach, are there any other books on the horizon for you or any others that you want to promote to our audience? I am thinking about my second book. I haven't really gone down the path yet. For those who might choose to buy my book or read my book as a result of listening to the show, I want to tell you that chapter seven is my absolute favorite chapter. It's a chapter in which I talk about the value of repurposing content, how a book or other content that we've created can be repurposed and reused over time in ways to reach new audiences. And hidden in that chapter is this idea that the best thing that we can repurpose is our own lives and our own life story. And so what I'm thinking about for book two is something about repurposing life and highlighting the stories of people who have chosen to bring both the trials and the joys of their lives to the world through their books and the impact ultimately that that has. Well, I think you should go after that book. It sounds like a great read. Thank you so much for being with us today. This has been so informative. We are so grateful for the time you've so generously shared with us. Thank you so much for having me. All right, let's turn to our words of the episode, Dave. I'll go first. My word today came about because I was writing an Instagram post because it's Valentine's Day and I wanted to write a Valentine's post. And I have this way of every Valentine's Day twisting the Valentine narrative and kind of talking about the real side of love. And so I was thinking last night, what am I going to say about Jerry and my marriage? And I started to think about all the things that annoy me about him. And so I kind of did the anti-love letter. And one of the things that annoys me about Jerry is that every morning he sits at the table with his breakfast and he eats a banana and I can hear his teeth chewing down on the banana. You literally hear his teeth going crunch, crunch, crunch. And I'm always like, how is it that you're eating a banana and I can hear your teeth chewing? It just makes no sense to me. And so that's one of the things that irritates me. And I was trying to come up with the word to describe that. And so in my Instagram post, I wrote every morning, you masticate your banana like a piece of well-done steak. And when I was looking for the word masticate, I first wrote macerate because that's what I thought the word was. But macerate is to soften or become softened by soaking in liquid. And so I'm like, oh, right, it's masticate, not macerate. So my word today is masticate. (laughs) Well, I'm going to always stick up for Jerry. I'm not saying anything here. I'm sure my what I do for (laughs) to make Jana want to, you know, rip my head off, I'm sure is much worse than than chewing on a banana. So yeah, I kind of set myself up for him to tell me all the things that he doesn't like about me. But I did end the post by saying all the things that were really wonderful about him and how these small things really don't matter all that much because he gets the big things right. (laughs) Well, that is so important, the big things, although sometimes it's easy to ignore the big things because you start to take those for granted. All right. So my word of the episode is vivify. Ooh, I like it. Yes, I've seen the word. I've read the word in a sentence, but I'm not sure I really ever understood what it is. So to vivify means to enliven or animate. So to endow life, to endow with life or renew life, to give new life or energy to. I actually read this 
in a theological book I'm reading called The Divine Milieu by Pierre Terre Chardin, I think is how you say his name. It's French. He was the anthropologist that found the Beijing man. So another way to say it would be the exercise vivified her, helping her make it through to the rest of the day or something like that. So this idea of something that energizes you, gives you life. If I go fly fishing, fly fishing vivifies me, right? Because it gives me new life and energy. So vivify. Could you, could you use it in the sense of like vivifying your Two Guys in a River podcast to give new life or energy to? Could you use it in that sense, do you Absolutely, think? Absolutely. I think you could, right? To give something that's kind of not moribund, but that needs new life to give it new energy and good yeah. and give it new life. Yeah, absolutely. I like that word. I feel like that's a really usable word. All right. On that note, we will sign off this episode of the writing podcast. I'm Melissa Parks. And I'm Dave Getz. Now buckle up and write. Mm-hmm.